When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. You can find my work at joehaggerty.substack.com. With me today, we have longtime hockey scribes, uh, guys that I've spent a lot of time with on the road, in the press boxes all around the NHL, the Standard Times, Mick Collagio, the Boston Globe's Kevin Baldupont, who actually had their own radio show. What was that, going back about 14, 15 years ago, you said, Mick? Uh, yeah, the great Eric Siemens of New England Hockey Journal fame uh, took out two hours in the morning. And um, and the second season, he paired me up with Dupes. Um, the first year was a former Trinity player, Bob Lober, who was uh, a teammate of uh, the agent for Jason Allison and Byron Defoe and the catalyst of the whole reason Willie O'Ree is a big deal in the NHL these days. Oh. And, uh, and that was our man from vision and Bryant McBride is his name. Uh, great guy. And, um, and, that, and they combined with Eric Siemens and they, in the hockey journal to do the radio show and out of the Brockton radio station at the top floor, uh, in downtown on the top floor of the enterprise that is. And the next year uh, they put us to 1510, the zone. And that's where I paired up with Dukes. Uh, that that first season up there off of 128 in uh, Burlington. Yeah, and I remember that. Not long after we met Kevin from Melrose, and uh, and we've never looked back. <laughs> and we are all <laughs> NEH, we are all NEHJ alums, are we not? Yes. And then Matt Kalman joined us in in Boston at the in Charlestown in the Schrafs building. Oh, Schrafs. Uh, yeah. when, when we came back on after the two year hiatus of the lockout year. And that was the that was the 890 ESPN days, right? That's correct. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> I remember so, those very well. So yeah, so that was the last that was the last few. Um yeah, and uh yeah, met a lot of people through that. It was it was pretty awesome. Uh, Dupes got us a lot of great guests and uh and uh you know, had fun. We had fun. Yeah, and Matt Kalman now is in some rubber room at a at the, <laughs> near what used to be Shea Stadium. <laughs> Uh, that's right. City, city field and, um, and carting around his protege Mason. Yes. Um, who's, uh, who like Hags is a uh, young fella is a hockey player. Yep. Plays for Woburn. I believe I've seen uh, the pictures pretty cool. It's good. I mean, that's the fun part, you know, well, seeing, getting uh, older. <laughs> yes, seeing the next generation, try to learn, uh, not, not learn too much from us, learn from the real coaches out there I and the guys that know what they're live. doing. I hope to live long enough to commiserate over their NHL retirements. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Before we go any further, just real quick, want to thank the sponsors, uh, Fan FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. Uh, right now, football season, obviously, uh, getting going with preseason. The betting uh, for the football and the wagering is, is hitting a fever pitch. If you visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book, that's FanDuel.com slash Boston. And Factor Meals, number one, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Uh, not just a pitch man, also a client. Delicious meals. 
Uh, I crushed a um, Italian beef with uh, some kind of vegetable last night that was both healthy, uh, dietitian approved and made by a chef ready in two minutes in the micro. Fantastic. Uh, head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags50 to get 50% off of your first box. That's hags50 at factormeals.com. Thank you, Factor Meals. All right. Let's get down to business. And Dupes, I'm going to start with you since uh, since since Mick has has gone in a uh, sojourn over there. Um, <laughs> let's let's just start with the news of the week. Uh, Harvard's uh, John Farinacci, two year deal, nine hundred and ten thousand dollar cap hit. Uh, former third round pick of the Arizona Coyotes. The Bruins wait until the uh, the rights uh, the Coyotes had on Farinacci expire and then sign him after the August 15th deadline. Uh, how, how, how much for each of you does this measure on the, uh, the Richter scale of potentially having some kind of impact this year? Well, for me, I, I, I wouldn't count on impact this year. Uh, and, I, and I may be underselling him, but I haven't seen, I, I have to be perfectly honest, I haven't seen him play. Yeah. But I'm just going by standard rule here, which is uh, so very few of these kids make, make the jump from but whether it's top end junior or top end college and, and uh, you know, uh, that, that may not be giving him enough uh, bona fides, but uh, we've seen it too many times, Hags, and we get all excited about him. And some of these kids come out after sophomore, junior year. Uh, what I do like that he's done here, uh, and I'm still amazed that the, the, the players, well, the, the players wouldn't close it, but the owners would certainly try to close what amounts to a loophole. It really yeah. isn't. That's what the CBA allows. If you play four years of amateur after your draft year, you're free to go. You're free to uh, go UFA as of August 15th. That's exactly what they did, and that's what happened to Blake Wheeler, if you remember. Blake yep. Wheeler, with that room. Jimmy VC, well, and it seems that. to happen a lot with the Arizona Coyotes, right? That's yeah, like sure. out of the playbook of the Coyotes draft picks. If they don't want to play there, just wait it out and you know go sign with whoever you want after that. It's you know yeah. for a team. For an organization that maybe isn't the most desirable desirable in the NHL, it puts them at a disadvantage. Right. And the yin, the yin and yang of that, as you all know, Hags and, and, and Mick, is, yeah, okay, you run from that fire, but maybe there's an opportunity there. Right. Be a, be a, there's a hell of a lot worse options than to be 22 years old and be stuck in Arizona on an NHL roster, Right making 900,000 on your entry deal. So yep. it, it's always a balance. And, and yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Hags. They, they've run it like, I don't know, a high school glee club for too long out there. Uh, and now it's a 5,000 seat stadium and I could tie up the whole show about having covered a game out there, but it's, yep. it's uh, you know, it's, it's the, the other side of it is, and I'll get off this and go over to Mick is that <laughs> As the student, because that's typically where these kids are, they're in college, uh, it also works in their favor in that clubs don't want to lose the asset of a pick. So they're very eager, usually by the by the player's second or third year at, at college, to get them under contract. Yep. Also, double-edged sword might not be the best deal. You know, should Ryan Donato have stayed another year at Harvard? Probably uh true of many of their college picks who who they've signed after two or three years so it's 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 dicey and it, it just underscores again it, even though you've played the four years or you he played three but he played four years amateur Faradachi even right. though you've played those years and you're 22 it's still a pretty good leap it is and and I you know the one thing I would say about his choice Arizona versus Boston and 
potentially make an impact to this year. And I did see him a little bit. I, I covered the bean pot. I was there watching the games, you know, and I, I watched a couple of Harvard games, decent player um, for sure. He obviously had a really good world junior a couple of years ago in the bubble in Edmonton uh, when team USA won the gold, uh, but the, the Bruin situation at center, I, I feel like that had to have played into it as well. You know, he did play at Harvard. Yes. So he has some kind of local tie and we all know how much Don Sweeney and Cam Neely love hockey East and Harvard players and, you know, guys that have played college hockey in, in this region, that, that's one of the big boxes that gets checked or a lot of these kids uh, when they sign or draft them. But like there is, you know, a lot of open real estate as far as the center position goes uh, on the Boston Bruins in the NHL this year. You know, obviously Pavel Zaka and, and Coyle are going to factor into the biggest roles to start. You know, but after that, Morgan Geeky, uh, Jesper Boquist, you know, like uh, uh, Patrick Brown, uh, you know, Mark McLaughlin, maybe Johnny Beecher. There's going to be, I think, a, a potential maybe there. Freddie, for, right, if somebody Freddie. pops or flashes to, to you yep. know, come in and seize a spot, it's it's much more open this year than it's ever been before. And I'm sure that factored into the decision making to sign with the Bruins, too. Mick, what do you think? Mick, I can't hear you. Can't hear you, Mick. But but I like the props. Yes, he came with props. He's the carrot top of NHL writers. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Can I talk, Mick? Okay. How about now? Yes. Good. good. Okay. See, I didn't I didn't do anything back when this was our scoreboard, and I had hair, and you guys weren't Greg. <laughs> um, Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> back then. Um, we didn't, we didn't have this, this kind of, this kind of issue, but when we got to the new building, the thing that we're talking about happening in the Coyotes started happening to the Bruins. Yeah. And in a few years before the salary cap, the Bruins were a team that would lose these guys to other teams. And then when things turned around and the Bruins suddenly found their new, their new currency, through their successes, uh, and all of a sudden Boston became a destination again. Uh, it it seemed like you know they were in the Jimmy Vc sweepstakes or the Anders Bjork sweepstakes. These were big ticket college players, and so yeah, I understand Duke's cynicism there. You you, it's a little like development camp. I think that a guy can look. I remember right. thinking Stanley Paulson was Peter Forsberg number two. Uh, but it's who you're doing it against. It's who Ryan Spooner was turning yeah. in that team. You know, that um, excuse me. That the really you know, it makes it hard to measure. Yeah, know, Jared Knight is the one I always think of. Remember him? Sorry? Jared Knight. Oh, Remember that kid oh, yeah. from the London Knights? Oh, he was like a second round pick. Yeah. He looked pretty yeah. good in development camp. He never even got a day in the NHL. There were so many fans who. Who they who were so on the Jared Knight bandwagon yeah. that they they were trying to find a um, a scapegoat for when it didn't work out for him. Oh, Cassidy ruined him, you know, or this or that or the other thing. You know, there was always somebody who had to be blamed for the Jared Knight uh, situation. You know, and and uh, we just don't know. And I think that's one of the things where the Bruins, um, you know, the, the drafting here, we have more years down the road and 15 doesn't look as bad as it did five years ago, you know, because other guys on other teams aren't holding up as well as they did at that time. And yet here comes DeBrusque, you know, up until his two broken bones in the winter classic, 
that guy was a house of fire. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, this is this situation here is, is uh, a lot more difficult, very difficult to say, but I think that adding, I like the idea, the concept of adding more candidates. So Farinacci, yeah. you know, a guy they want to look at and, and it puts them in the mix. And I love the Bruins, uh, the way they think this, that, that uh, they like Team Canada. Let's get as many centers as we can. And they can always be make those in a wingers. You can't make wingers in the centers. Yeah. So. Well, well, they have to. I mean, a couple things. They have to sign guys like Farinacci because of the lack of draft picks that they have that they've traded away. This is absolutely the method they have to use to replenish uh, their prospect cupboard. Uh, given all the, the asset draft picks, uh, draft pick assets that they've traded away in trades to go for it, you know, past, present and future, you know, they don't have first and second round picks until like 2026. So this, this you know, they're going to be, I think, doing this and going this route and, and trying to scavenge you know, college free agents, unsigned draft picks, all that stuff for a while. So like credit them for at least using this stream uh, and this method to, to bring in some extra players. I am glad though, that we, we, I don't think we really hear sweepstakes with these guys anymore after the Jimmy Vesey situation, because I think people learned a lesson from everybody rolling out the red carpet, flying them all around, trying to turn it into this like NFL NBA thing Oof. where it was this, I, I got, you know, a superstar player that they're trying to woo to their franchise. I still remember David Krejci in captain's practice while that whole thing was going on, kind of rolling his eyes and like, let's see what the guy can do with the NHL before we get too excited about Jimmy Vesey. And he was, as so many times with David Krejci, and we'll talk about him later, 100% bang on, accurate, thoughtful, you know, said what he meant, meant what he said, and was totally right about that situation. And at least it's returned back to sanity with these players where they get like, you know, they get a, a contract. It's not a big, uh, you know, brouhaha. And then maybe they fit, maybe they don't. But I think Jimmy Vc really changed that whole dynamic of how it's viewed based on, you know, decent NHL player, but certainly not what people thought he was going to be coming out of Harvard. Hey everybody, football season is just about to kick off and what better place is there to go than FanDuel Sportsbook. Our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. They give you the chance to win all season long while the football is getting carried around, thrown in the end zone, kicked through the uprights and all the gambling people can come out, all the fantasy people can come out and let it roll. Right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl. That's right. Pick a team right now that you think is going to win the Super Bowl. Could it be the Patriots? Could it be Could it be uh, Bill Belichick's swan song Super Bowl uh, victory? Who knows? Maybe you throw some money at that. But right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, on player props, over-unders, and so much more. So just visit FanDuel.com Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com Boston, and get going with the football wagers. You know you want to. Just go do it. And I do want to let you know that you need to be 21 and plus and present Massachusetts first online real money wager only $10 deposit required refund issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days restrictions apply see terms at fanduel.com sportsbook hope is here. 
gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start, gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Yeah, I, I think Anders Bjork as well, but with without as much of the drama at the finish line. Yeah, I think that both of those guys were. But yeah, the VC one, that was a bit bit of a, hey, at least the egg wasn't on the Bruins' face at the end, but I did feel kind of ashamed on their behalf for having participated in that fawning. <laughs> I just, that just embarrassed me. Hey, well, come on. The, the fawning part is all is partly our fault too, though, right? Like, you, you know, the media no, getting excited not, about it and building it up. I can, I'll, read, I'll, I'll sign up for guilt on a lot of things, not that one. <laughs> uh, anything, do you feel, uh, what about Jay O'Brien? Um, that's another guy that's out there, a Hingham native, former first round pick. The Flyers are getting a compensatory second round pick because he's not going to sign with them. Had a pretty good career at BU. Um, you know, I don't think he lived up to maybe the first round pick that the, the Flyers used for him, but could that also be a guy? I think he's a center too, that, uh, the Bruins potentially take a waiver on. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the exact math in front of me, but I take it as a little bit older, a little bit yeah. more experienced, uh, and sure, absolutely. And as you, if if you will, it's another log on the fire. I was gonna, I was gonna add two names to this whole mix. One being Frederick, who is a center, and we've watched Trent Frederick That's, here now yep. for two or three years. Would any of us sitting here today feel comfortable with Freddie being plugged in as the third center or the fourth center? And there's a kid who's got size. He's got grit. You know, got a. Li- I'd like to see a little more of that. I'd like to see yep. a little more fire in a lot of guys, especially the college guys, which also uh, gives me a, a bit of a anti-bias on the college side because they don't yep. come with a, with enough uh, hiss and vinegar in their game. Not so as much the, as the OHL boys, right, Dupes? Well, that's right. Or the Western yep. guys. You know, even, yes. even the, Bruins, the Bruins went far away from the OHL boys until recently. Between Nick Boynton and uh, the goalie um, – uh, that had the double hip surgery and played with some for the Pete Bruins and recently resurfaced the left stick. Can't remember his name right now, but they went like eight years without picking in the top three rounds from the OHL. And I think the only one exception was an American player who happened to be in the OHL. So they just, because their operation was so in British Columbia was so much where they were all the time, the OHL, which was still the heartbeat of NHL prospects got ignored by the Bruins for a long time. That's no longer the case, and that makes me happy. The other name I was going to add, and I, I spoke with him at length this week, I'll be, I'll be using him in Sunday notes, is uh, down in Providence, Merkulov. You know, yep. So Merkulov was, you know, a lot of people forget here, uh, he was the number two scorer in the AHL this past season. He's a center. Uh, so if, if I'm, you know, if I'm kind of playing dark horses here, which is, I guess what we're doing, oh, he I, and I, I put him ahead of Farinacci. So, and again, and, oh, you, uh, Merkulov might wind up between Marshan and DeBrusque, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just think that he, he got a bad rap for not being a defensive player and, and, uh, Mujanel, Brian Mujanel, the Providence Bruins coach, uh, got to sit with him last winter and, and he told me. He's my best defensive forward. He says the rap on him was he didn't play defense, but he never had to. People don't know how good he is. He says, this is guy is probably Boston's. I have him in the top four prospects in the, in the front and the organization is what he yeah. said. And he's the guy who's with him every single day last season. So this guy here, yeah. Is he a lightweight? 
you know, like, what are they listing him at? 165 or something? You know? yeah, he, says he's yeah. a, he says he's a buck 80. Okay. So if he's a buck 80, then yeah, he can play at that. I think I absolutely, you know, and I think that he and Letary, by the way, were, were interchangeable as centers and wings on that, you know, uh, situation in Providence. They were flipping back and forth and could do whatever they needed to do. So Merkeloff could find a home on this team in a couple of ways, but where they need him might be, it might, maybe he's the best possible uh, guy to go in, um, you know, in, a, in, in the top six, when all is said and done, if it'll, if, which let's face it, the, the elephant in the kitchen here is the mind of Charlie Coyle. Everybody knows Charlie Coyle has the all the auto parts of a tractor that can play in the top six and be a monster. But if for him, he's never sustained confidence in that situation. So he's always at home as the captain of the bottom six. And that's where he's thrived. And yep. with the luxury of the Bergeron Krejci era, you could put him there. And he could augment them, take the Z D zone uh, face-offs and kill some penalties and take away some of the heavy lifting as those guys got older. That was the theory. It was the theory with David Backus. That didn't work out, but Charlie Coyle did one did. And uh, but now Charlie Coyle's in a position here where at age 31 or whatever it is, he could take a giant leap in his career and start doing it because they need it and not because he's, you know, his glass is half full. You know, maybe it's time for him to be that leader on this team and earn himself a letter on a sweater and and get himself a bigger role. He could be a perfect bridge player here for them, but it's never been his mental mindset to take on that kind of responsibility. Um, and to me, it's all you know what, Dupes. I mean, you know what, Mick. I don't even know if it's a mental thing with him. I think it's like from having talked to people that have played with him before that it's a physical thing where he can't maintain that level that he sometimes plays at all the time through an 82 game season. It's easier for him to do it over a shorter spurt in the playoffs when they're playing every day, you know, and he can kind of, and we've seen that 2019, he was a horse. He was a great player for them uh, as they went to the Stanley cup final, but it seems to be more of the physical. He can't live up to his physical capabilities and his physical skills. And you know what he flashes over the long course of an 82 game season. And that's kind of been what, at least people that I've talked to have said about him that played with him and that have seen him up close every single day. Um, and, and I feel like, I, I do feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of it with you where I feel like a guy uh, once they've hit 31 years old in the NHL, especially a forward uh, they are what they are, you know, like I don't expect big leaps or big changes from a player once they've gone past the 30 year old Mark uh, when it comes to forwards, I would love to see it happen because Charlie's a great uh, person you know, he's paid his dues. Like, certainly they need somebody like that to step he's up. But awesome I'm guy. I'm a little more of a doubting Thomas when it comes to that. I hear you. I hear you. And, I, and this is one, as a, just as a very short aside, this is one of the reasons Patrice Bergeron was as great a player as he was. He he, he developed his one-timer in his 30s. Yep. He, he kept sizing up the game throughout his career and figuring out ways to get better. I remember when Dupes cornered Sweeney after one of those season-opening pressers uh, at Warrior and 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 threw a, tossed at him a comparison of careers between him and Ray Bork, and uh, in the most general way, and what special things do they have? And one of the things Don Sweeney said that was Ray could step away from the game. 
Fergie never stopped thinking about how to be better, how to keep on sizing up the game and figure it out. And 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 he's one of the best players I've ever seen, Don Sweeney said. And uh, and he played with Ray Bork, so those are pretty pretty high words. Uh, and um, and I kept thinking about that since that day about how many ways that we've seen Bergeron reinvent himself and do it. You know, like here's a guy who picks up a one time or why not because he wants to be a 50 goal scorer someday would have done it in his when he in his teens if he wanted to do that it was because he thought the Bruins needed it for them to win you yeah. know that's the kind of player he was and I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of this is rubbed off on guys who are still here now dupes uh Merkulov um since you're writing about it this week you talked to a bunch of people like the, we didn't obviously watch him play uh, too much. I saw the numbers, you know, we saw him, you know, I think he came up to practice a day or two and it was, certainly we saw him, you know, um, development camp, but what, um, how much did he play center last year? I thought he played mostly wing for Providence and they didn't have him playing largely center last year, which would make it difficult for him to kind of, you know, talent wise, obviously, I think if they're looking for somebody that's going to be able to play skill wise with guys like Marshan Pasternak, he fits that profile offensively, no question about it in power play, but how much confidence do they have that he could play center at the NHL level? He started, he started the wing last year, but by mid season, he was, he was full-time center. And I'm sure some of that project, it was projection that they knew where the, yep. where the number one two centers were going here. So, um, you know, he's, he's, I'm not going to say he's like Bergie, but he is, he is like Bergie. And if you, if you stand back from Bergie's game, there was nothing, there was nothing double plus about Bergie's game right. beyond the intelligence of it. I mean, his, his speed, his strength of shot, all his, his stick handling, all of it, you know, all of it, what B plus a minus yeah, good, good, but not great. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, he's, he's, which is to say, that that's like 90, 98% of the players in the league, right. That, that they just have their, their kit and, and that's, that's where they go. So I I'm not saying, and Mick's not saying, although Mick, you did have him on the first line there for a second, which I really, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, let the Merkulov era begin. Let's make it happen. I think what we're saying there go ahead, is go ahead, he, he has, he has the skill set to take a look at that. Uh, you know, yep. and, and, uh, I, I don't, I don't see it, but, uh, you know, we, we, there's a, there's a whole thing. And I've, I've, I've dwelled on this a lot lately when Marshan came up, most of us saw him as a, as a, as a bottom six guy in perpetuity, right? Yep. Yep. Well, we, we were all wrong on that. Um, Bergeron first year on the wing, uh, competent, good, solid. You know, anybody projecting even after a year, this is where it was going to go? No. So it's it's really incumbent on the player. And the, and it, often it is the intelligence factor. Well, that they spot what they need. Yeah. They can go at it, and they get fluent. Well, it's the same thing with Pasta. And I think Krejci referenced this uh, the other day when we talked to him that, you know, we all knew he was talented when we saw him come on the scene that first development camp and like break into the NHL as the youngest player in the league. Bergeron did the same thing. He was the youngest player in the league when he came in that first year. But like, did anybody see Pasta come becoming a 60 goal scorer and, you know, one of the most dynamic players in the NHL? No, that comes down to the players and them, you know, working their craft into that for sure. 
Right. And there's just no knowing that. I mean, especially when you're, you're picking in an 18-year-old draft. And what underscores your point, Joe, is look at where he got taken in the first round and look yep. at all those teams that passed him over. Look at Bergeron. Bergeron last to the second round. Habs had two picks, passed on them both times. They don't talk about that much up in Montreal, do they? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we'll all say right. that for our French version. Yes. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, to your point, I, I think we do talk a lot about Fabian Lysel, Johnny Beecher, Mark yeah. McLaughlin, some other guys in Providence and Merkulov does not get mentioned that much, even though he put up, you know, the biggest numbers, I think of all of those guys. So like second, that, that, in, the league. second yeah. in the league scoring, which is phenomenal. You know? yep. and, uh, if you and talk, to, talk to Mujanel, he's way ahead of all those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, and it, well, and the other guy that really has a, a finger on the pulse of this and you should have him on sometime hags is uh unless you already have my bad mark mark Eric. yeah i've had him on yep but good okay so so uh um he just doesn't light up when you say lysel no he, <laughs> and he sees the p bruins quite a bit yeah and um and you know if this guy's going to turn the corner there's a lot of turning to do uh there there's uh whereas I look at a guy like Merkelhoff and say, okay, what is he, 22? So, so yeah. he's so, college age range. Yep. So, so here's a guy who, yeah, he does have those numbers like Kevin has alluded. Um, and, but it's not because of that that I'm intrigued. It's because of the ability he has shown to play with other skilled players and the fact that he has a better defensive game than was advertised. Uh, and why he wasn't drafted was because he was thought of in a way that did not, you know, he's a guy way underweight and he doesn't play defense. Well, it turns out he's a really good defensive player. If Mujanel says he's my best defensive player, I'm on the bandwagon to get a look at this kid in the skill spots and see what it looks like when he helps them be better and, and they help him be better because He's got the acumen and he's proven at every level he's had to play at that he can do this. And they're in a desperate situation to find the next guy. So is it possible that, you know, even whether it's a short-term basis or whatever, um, you know, right now they just need to see if they got somebody here and they've lined up a lot of candidates. They can't all get the reps, you know, it's, it's um, they can't all get a lot of reps, but, um, the certain guys you know are going to get bottom six roles. The certain guys that really intrigue me for potential top six roles, and Merkelhoff is one of them. And yeah. Now and that, I, now that ahead, I have helped frame, now that I have helped frame the house of Merkelhoff, you can guarantee <laughs> he'll be in the first cuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's going to be on the ice in Providence real early in September. No, no yeah. doubt about it. Right. Uh, all right, we talked plenty about the future. Let's talk about the past a little bit. We talked to David Krejci this uh, week about uh, his NHL retirement. I think this was very much expected, not a surprise. Um, I know it was really difficult for him this past season with his family living in, in South Carolina, his wife and kids, and him being here basically by himself for long stretches in Boston, playing that last year, and you know some of the injury problems, other things. But just you know, y- your thoughts, your memories, your overall uh, impressions on the legacy of, of David Krejci, um, as a guy that was a fantastic playmaker, definitely the number, I think the best number two center in Bruins history on any of their great teams. Certainly one of the best centers overall, top 10 in assists and points over a thousand games, all with the same team. 
um, you know, was also a guy that would be very honest and tell you what he was thinking, even sometimes to, you know, it might ruffle some feathers, whether it was like he wanted to be on the penalty kill more. Uh, there was one year he was put in a third center role towards the end of the year by Claude Julian, and he definitely was not happy about it. Like things like that, you know, he knew he was a very good player. He knew his skill set. He knew what could bring out the best in him and what he could do for other players, but also just a great teammate that never had a problem with being in the shadow of Patrice Bergeron to a large degree, given that they were both great centers on the same team. So I, you know, he's a guy that I enjoyed watching a lot and, you know, interacting and working with over the last 15 years. Nick. Um, Well, in the, in the, speaking of Claude in the, in the Julian glory days, Krejci's line was rolled out first. Yep. Once once they no longer had Mark Savard. Um, And that lasted through that era, which you could say caps with what the 14 playoffs. So, so it isn't, doesn't get, uh, it isn't until after that, the deconstruction of Krejci's line through the trade of Lucic, the obviously Horton went um, before that, but uh, the Berge and Martian as a pair emerge as the Gretzky Curry of the Bruins. And, uh, um, and Krejci then becomes your number two again, like he was in the, around 2009 or so. And, uh, but um, I look at Krejci like a guy that I always wish could be a little harder on pucks. He left me wanting more. He left me wanting to see him skate a little better, a little, a little more out of each stride. But then the playoffs would come and he was an assassin. Yep. And I always thought he was at his best when he had physical wingers who could create chaos. Lucic and, then, and Horton, right. absolutely at his best when he had those two on his wing. Right. No and while Horton wasn't a hitter, he was more of a Glenn Murray type player, big stride, get in on the forecheck quickly, make the defenseman wet their pants like Mark Messier bearing down, you know, and it's like the puck pressure there. A Lucic would drive you through the, the glass as we saw, but um but yeah, that was the that was the presence, and that allowed Krejci to just so calmly walk in there like the general after his army has gone in and, and lit the city on fire, and just <laughs> calmly decide what he's going to do. And he would just so deftly. And then his celebrations were Bobby Orr esque, almost nothing. <laughs> he almost it just kind of like uh, it, it. He wasn't a jump over. The, he was he wasn't a jump of his ass off the glass guy like Ovechkin. It was, he was a no pulse kind of player in the best way possible. You know, yeah, learn to love his game and and will miss it greatly. Yeah, from that demeanor standpoint, Middleton also Middleton guy. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's in the net and shrug. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's funny. Know. A quick side uh, there, Kevin is um, I went to a game in the fall of 08 and Krejci scored a power play goal off the rush against the Ottawa Senators. And as I was leaving the game, Rick Middleton was also leaving the game and, and he was positively giddy about Krejci, which was really cool because that's a great comparison of skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. I know he made me, you know, Krejci made me wish power plays were three minutes because he would, he would have been out there longer on the power play. And I think he would have scored more. So I think a lot of his, uh, uh, I'm not going to say lack of production, but underproduction is the fact that Bergie was out there. Bergie was out there more on the number one line, more on the number one PP. So yep. I think if if that got more evenly distributed, their numbers would be more sort of aligned. And, and of course, then there's the year he went away. 
uh, or went back to check. So all in all, I, I the highest compliment I can give him is that I thought of him right there with Berge. You know, I think in in some ways, uh, yes, a little less, some ways a little more, uh, but very cerebral, smart. Uh, the, 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 that what also was fascinating about when he did have two lumberjack wingers, and I, I say that as a compliment, uh, you know, they, they were straight line players and he was still East West. Yep. So, uh, that, that's, that, that, there's a, there's a real trick to that. Uh, so there, there's a, there's a lot that I think in retrospect, we will grow to enjoy more about Gretchy when he is gone. Uh, the, and, and now that he is, I think it's, it's going to dawn on some people, uh, quite soon, just what it meant to have him as, as Bergie's support guy and yep. also talent in and of himself, which at least in two dozen NHL teams, he would have been the number one center. Well, yeah. and we've talked about this a few times, the last 15 years, a huge part of the foundation of the Bruins roster and what they're built on is the two franchise centers. Like just having those two as the bedrock of the entire team, obviously having Zidane Ochara there for as long as they did too, as a franchise you know, shut down sort of all around defenseman was a big, huge component too. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing that they had during this long run when they were a playoff team, winning divisions, titles, winning a cup, getting to the Stanley Cup finals three times was having two legit frontline top six centers that were outstanding uh, in all zones. And, you know, it was a real treat for, I think, us to watch those years when, as you referenced, Mick, when supposedly the Krejci, Horton, Lucic were the number one line, and then it would, was Recky, uh, Bergeron, and uh, Marchand. And I'll never forget right before the 2011 playoffs, uh, it was one of the practices uh, at the Garden, and it was fairly intense. This was within the last week or two before the playoffs were going to start. And I'll never forget, I think it was Horton dumping Mark Recky on his ass during a drill. Like, and that was kind of a statement. You could tell by the look in Claude's face when he was coming off the ice after the practice, like these guys are ready for the playoffs. That line wants to be number one, wants to be respected, is ready for, you know, battle. And and it was, you know, that was fun to watch because it was two extremely good lines that you knew were ready for, you know, a long playoff run. And uh, at times the Bruins have had that since, but I think that's the best consistently they've had in two lines that, you know, I've covered in the last 15 years. Oh, you have to look at uh, one of these faces in the on the dot, two thirds of every hockey game. It's a little like Pittsburgh's had it with Crosby and Malkin. And if you go back to the nineties, uh, you can go back as far as you want to Beliveau and Henri Richard, but you, but it's, you know, whether it's Eisenman, Fedorov or um, Sackick, Forsberg, uh, Madano, Neuendijk, you know, the, the teams that were dominating in that decade and this carried forward. Some, there's another model uh, that the Bruins now have to transition to, which is the Montreal, New Jersey model, which you base everything on your big three on defense. And then if you can get one really good center and, and if you're heavy wing heavy, the Chicago model was this way with Keith, uh, Jalmason and Seabrook. And while Taze, how many people can name the number two center for the Chicago Blackhawks in each of their cup years? It's, yeah. it's, 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 uh, they were a bag, they were a big three team after the order of Montreal, New Jersey, and St. Louis the year they won it. But even the gear the Caps won it, they were like the Bruins and the Penguins. It was Kuznetsov finally became a playoff player. So it was Backstrom and Kuznetsov. And, and that was really the strength of that club. 
And uh, they finally didn't, you know, have a disappearing act in the playoffs from Kuznetsov. And that was what, and since then, they've had health problems and they've never been able to get near it again. But they got it that one time. And that was why they were legit. And if you want to be legit, you got to do it one of two ways and then build your team around that. And now the Bruins are going to have to change completely what their foundation is. Yeah, Dupes, what do you think the path to competitiveness is for the Bruins next year with Krejci and Bergeron gone? And how much do you feel like fans should be bracing for a, a serious period of adjustment? Well, it's, not going to be a, it's safe to say it's not going to be a 305-goal team, right? Uh, so no. I think they're going to have to take a step back here on a defensive scheme and rely a whole lot on the goaltending and a whole lot on the defense. And you know what? There's a, there's a whole lot of teams in the league that can't say that these guys legitimately can. Yep. Uh, they do have skill back there. Uh, whether they've got toughness on, on the day, I, you know, I, I like them more with Connor Clifton, not that he's the, not that he's the difference maker, but I, I did like Connor Clifton's toughness. I will miss, miss him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I think they will. I think that was and a good be in the division. Yeah, really good pickup for Buffalo, right? So, uh, but I'm and I, Kevin Shattenkirk obviously is a much different kind of player, you know. Well, you know what this is? That's for their power play. They they know that their power play was iffy last year, and this is a, a distinct effort targeting the power play. There's no other reason why you want Kevin Shattenkirk anywhere near this hockey team unless you know you need to manufacture some offense and they're going to need a better power play, and that's what that's all about. Right. Uh, Dupes, so, you're going to be- so in that line, back to your question, Joe, what, what do I think they're going to be? I, I, you know, I think they're going to have to grow into scoring. They're going to have fits and starts on that. Uh, what, I, what I do like about that is that that's Jim Montgomery's calling card, right? He's, yeah. he's, uh, he can be creative. He'll try. We know he'll try different combinations, maybe to a fault in the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, that, that is, I think I mentioned the other day, scoring can evolve. You, you have time typically in a season for scoring to mature, get the right combinations. You've got 12 guys in the mix defense. You've got, you know, technically you've got six guys in the mix. The truth of the matter is to shape a real defensive unit, there's only four. So you've got to have those four. You've got to get those four nailed, get them down. So I think they've got some, you know, we, we know they've got. I got four. one real question, Mark. Is it going to be Forbert? Is it going to be Grizzlick? Who's going to play with McAvoy against which opponents? Um, since they got the both of these guys going forward, which was a surprise to me. I didn't know that Evan Gold could pull that off, but they still got that intact. And we yep. know what the top three is. And and now Shattenkirk augments that with a power play. And we'll see if Ian Mitchell can take his spot before the season ends. And and uh, and 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 Zaboral is next man up. Uh, so uh, you know, so this will this is this is not bad. This was a very good defense last year, um, and a very good goaltending tandem, which is still intact. So um, that back end is very solid, and I understand that they've thought. I can see why they prioritize. Let's keep that together, and then while we score less, we'll figure that out as we go but yeah at least the bottom's not going to drop out with the defense right. and the goaltending they have i think that's still the bones of a playoff team on that's this right. roster with the defense the goaltending they still have Pasternak, martian they still have some talented wingers that are going to be able to put the puck in the net while they're figuring everything else out offensively but but the, i guess the the question i keep going back to is the center position and, you know, we've heard a lot about the Calgary Flames, the Winnipeg Jets, Edmonton Oilers, and we'll end with this. Um, 
do you foresee a deal with any of those teams? Elias Lindholm, Mark Shifley, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, maybe not now, obviously, because I think what we see now is probably what we're going to see in training camp in October 11th when they drop the puck against the Chicago Blackhawks. But are we all waiting for the shoe to drop on a trade for one of those centers or somebody else we haven't even thought of as they watch over the season? If the center picture and the center uh, position doesn't develop the way they want it to and, and somebody doesn't step up and show the capability to play as a, as a line driver in a top six role, even though I think I like Zaka a lot. And I think if he can figure out the face-off thing, he has a lot of the credentials to be able to do it. Um, but do we foresee the, the trade for a big time center as a shooter drop this year, as we go into the season? Oh, well, it should, it should that's a pessimistic I, I, go ahead. Mick. I'm sorry. Um, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The, I'm just, my thing is you just brought it up, Joe Zaka. He's your X factor. Yeah. He hasn't done it. They think he can do it. They traded a good player to get him because they thought he could do this. And he's on the front side of his prime, his athletic prime. So and I liked him last year. He did a lot of very center-like things while playing right. wing last year that I really liked and watched and said, I think this kid can play center and you know in an important spot. And, and the good thing is Pasta likes to have the puck. So yeah. clearly he's going to play with Pasta. So um, how you compliment those guys will be a big part of that. And, um, and how you choose to do it, um, what's going to happen there. Um, hey, sometimes a plumber works. Look at what Chicago did when, when uh, the second half of the series against the Bruins in 13, they brought Michael Hanzus, who had been a fourth-line center in his career, a third-line center's career, and made him the number two center on that team because he had a big body strength, could, could play with skilled players. If they think Morgan Geeky needs to be a guy that they need to plug into a situation like this because of his overall 200 foot game and ability to grind and, and to support the skilled players, then they'll put him in there. So I think that's a, a big reason why he wasn't like, you know, one of those other guys, many other guys who got like one year, 1 million, one year, 1 million. They looked at him a little differently. And I think that that's another name that we need to keep in mind. Should things not go great or should they need a certain kind of augmentation to this line to support Zaka? You know, who knows how this is going to go, but I, I do like the idea that uh, they, they're going to start from within. Uh, but when you, if you do, do decide that, you know, go need to get the Nuge or, or somebody like that, or win the Lindholm sweepstakes, um, the Shifley thing doesn't excite me for some reason. Like maybe just because the water is uh, dirty in Edmonton, I'm not sure. But, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg, sorry. Yes. Uh, but, but, uh, Rick Bonus yeah, certainly it, thinks it's dirty. He felt like it was dirty after the playoffs when they were done last year. You know, and, <laughs> and Paul and, Maurice uh, before and, him, and, too. And, and, and didn't Paul Maurice, not only through Florida's successes, but through what happened to Winnipeg after he left, right. also redeemed him. People were blaming him for that. And yep. that turned out to be, you know, so, uh, yeah. But if you're in that spot, then you're in a world of hurt because, you won't have to give what other people can give. And how do you make it happen? Dupes, do you see us writing columns in November, December saying we need a, we're going to, the Bruins desperately need a franchise frontline center. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we could write that now. I, I do. I, I think we, because I, whatever their maturation is, I have real doubts that Zaka or Coyle can be a true number one NHL center. Uh, and I may be underestimating them. I underestimate a lot of people, but I, I I like them both. I'd have them on my team. Right now, it feels to me like Zaka's a number two and Charlie is best at number three. Yeah. 
like trying to force him into one or two, you may be, you may be stealing from his skill set in an odd, in an odd sense there. Uh, so frankly, if you could go out and find a number one center today or tomorrow or three games into the season, yeah, I'd, I'd be really excited about that. As we know, the hardest part now is, well, there's many hard parts. First of all, teams don't give them up, A. And B, what do you do? You, you, there's a, you're going to have to send assets out. So the first asset, always when I go into substantial trades, first asset is going to be DeBrusque and second asset is going to be Carlo. So do you want to, you know, is, and frankly, if it's a true number one center who you can plug into your lineup and he's age 26, 27, and you can see that as a, as a five or six year player, then yes, it's worth right. going up on the assets. And I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation until it's resolved one way or the other. Uh, Kevin Paul DuPont from the Boston Globe. Thank you very much. Mick Collagio. From the Standard Times, thank you. We will definitely do this again. I also want to thank quickly our sponsors, FanDuel.com. Uh, FanDuel.com slash Boston. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book and the exclusive wagering partner of CLNS Network. And uh, who could forget America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, Factor Meals. Head to FactorMeals.com slash Hags50 and use code Hags50 to get 50% off your first box. Mick, next time you come, I definitely want you to bring the props again. Dupes. You can bring the wit and wisdom, my friend. Thank you, guys. Until next time, see you at the rink. Always fun. Thanks, pal.